0: Behold, the bridegroom is coming. Go out to meet him. These words, written for us by St. Matthew the Evangelist, were spoken by Christ to his disciples and to all persons in this parable of the virgins. The bridegroom is Christ, and human nature is the bride, whom God created according to his own image and likeness. In the beginning, he placed his bride in the noblest and most beautiful, the richest and most luxuriant place on earth that is paradise, the Garden of Eden. He subordinated all other creatures to her, adorned her with grace, and gave her a commandment so that through obedience to it she might deserve to be made firm and steadfast with her bridegroom, our Lord Jesus, in eternal faithfulness And so never fall into any adversity or any sin. Just do not eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But then came an evildoer, the enemy from hell, who in his jealousy assumed the form of a cunning serpent and deceived the woman. They both then deceived the man in whom human nature also existed in its entirety. Thus did the enemy seduce human nature, God's bride, through deceitful counsel. Poor and wretched, she was banished to a strange land and was there captured and oppressed and beset by her enemies in such a way that it seemed she would never be able to return to her homeland or attain reconciliation. But when it seemed to God that the right time had come, and he took pity on his beloved in her suffering... He sent his only begotten Son to earth into a magnificent palace and a glorious temple, that is, into the body of the glorious Virgin Mary. There the Son wedded this bride, our nature, and united her with his own person through the purest blood of the noble Virgin. The priest who witnessed the bride's marriage was the Holy Spirit. The angel Gabriel brought the message. The glorious virgin gave her consent, thus did Christ, our faithful bridegroom, unite our nature with himself. He came to us in a strange land and taught us through a heavenly way of life and with perfect fidelity. He worked and struggled as our champion against our enemies, broke open the bars of our prison, won the struggle, vanquished our death through his own redeemed us through his blood, freed us through his water in baptism, and made us rich through his sacraments and his gifts, so that, as he says, we might go out with all virtues to meet him in the palace of glory and enjoy him forever in eternity. Therefore, Christ, the master of truth, says, Behold, the bridegroom is coming. Go out to meet him. Through these words, Christ, our lover, teaches us four things. First of all, he gives us a command when he says, Behold, those who remain blind and ignore this command will not make it to heaven. Secondly, he reveals to us what we are to see, namely the coming of the bridegroom. Thirdly, he tells us what we are to do when he says, Go out. Fourthly, when he says, To meet him. He reveals to us the reward and end of our entire activity and our entire life. Namely, a loving meeting with the bridegroom. To be able to behold, to see. It's not with our human eyes, not with our physical eyes. It's with the eyes of, a, of our spirit, of our soul. And in a spiritual sense, we need the light of God's grace, just as we need these lights, or the sun. We also need the object, the bridegroom himself, through which we are looking at to be able to see. And then finally, we need to actually be looking at him. So we need the light, we need him, and we need to be looking at him to be able to behold, to be able to see like the ten virgins. And in a spiritual sense, the light of God's grace is a fruit-bearing branch that comes from the life-giving paradise of the eternal kingdom. This light comes from God himself. No human activity is useful unless it grows from this branch. This branch of God's grace, which makes a person pleasing to God and worthy of eternal life, is offered to everyone, but is not used by everyone. For some do not wish to have their eyes gaze upon the bridegroom. And for ourselves here in church, sometimes it's not an all or nothing. There are moments in our life where we are spiritually attuned and focus on God. And there are certainly are times, moments, days, weeks, months, where we fall into sin or fall into a routine and do not look at our Lord. And sometimes this parable of the ten virgins, since Jesus is talking about the end of times, the judgment, and the five unwise, the foolish virgins, are locked out of the room, it sounds like it's the end of time, and it's if you don't live your life the right way, you will not be welcomed into the kingdom. And while that is true, there's also different moments in our life where this is true for us, of sometimes we behold and go out to meet our Lord, and sometimes we We refrain, or we just don't do what's necessary, the work to get ready for him and for his coming. And this grace that allows us, this light, this grace from God that allows us to see, to behold the bridegroom can come from two places, or we can experience it from two places, from within or from without. If it's from without, it can be when we are diagnosed with an illness, or we lose a loved one, or we lose property, or a job, or are unsettled, shaken up in this life. Some tragedy befalls us. Or it can be from some great preaching, or some, something online, some, something Catholic that you read, can also cause us to be shaken to realize that the Holy Spirit and grace is always working on us. For our eyes, possibly for the first time, to be enlightened, to be opened, And sometimes it comes from within. Sometimes when we are reflecting on the Lord's passion and what that means and his suffering, but his glory also and his mercy, that shakes us up or that wakes our heart and changes it from a heart of stone to more of a beating heart, a living heart, a heart that lives for God. To go out, now that we have God's grace, we recognize God's grace, we work towards always having the light of God's grace. And he's always providing it. And so when I say when we work to have it, I mean things like fasting, prayer, almsgiving, receiving the sacraments worthily, extra prayer every day, living our lives in such a way that we really do become a second Christ. That people look at us and can say, oh, he or she... Is definitely a disciple of christ based on the way that they talk the way that they act towards others the way that they forgive easily even when human nature would say you need to hold that grudge and that other person isn't even sorry or to persevere with hope and happiness and joy when life is getting us down and we lose everything or we lose important things in our life or we persevere for five ten thirty years after the loss of a spouse and we do it with joy because we know that we're in the arms of God. If we act this way, if we desire God's grace, we will be perceptive to God's grace. And then to go out to meet the bridegroom is to live in a way that is worthy of that, to allow that grace to influence us so that we can pray passionately, we can forgive easily, we can focus on things eternal and not on things of this world, every day and at every moment. And then finally to meet him, I'll just finish with this, whoever wishes to meet Christ as his beloved bridegroom and to possess eternal life with him must in this present life meet Christ in three ways. If we're going to meet Christ at the end, we must meet him today and every day in these following three ways. We must focus our mind more on the spiritual life and less on the material life. We hear St. Paul say things like desires of the spirit rather than desires of the flesh. Do we possess our possessions? Do we own our possessions or do our possessions own us? It's okay to have a lot of things, but is our life totally wrapped around those things? Or do we give freely and we understand that others don't have as much as we do, and that the the things of this life, as nice as they are, cars, houses, vacations, extra houses, whatever, do not get us to heaven and are really secondary. So keeping your mind there on the eternal things, spiritual things. Second is that we don't love anything more or as much as God. This is the question we have to ask. What this is saying is, Do I love God because he's God? Do I love God because he gives me good things? He gives me consolation. He gives me the sacraments. He gives me peace. He gives me joy. Is that why I love God? Or do I love God because he's God and I'm not? Because he created me in his own image. And for just that fact alone. That's a very difficult thing to do. And many mystics and spiritual masters in our church history, both men and women, struggle with that or work years and years to get to that point, to realize that no matter what struggles we go through or how good we have it, that's not why we love God. We love God, or we ought to love God, because of who He is. He loves us not because of anything we do. He loves us because we are. He loves us because He made us. He loves us because that's what love does. And the third thing, is with all our virtuous activities, is that we have to rest in God. So the first thing I said, I kind of put one and three together. Focus on spiritual things, sacraments, prayers, the, the pious life, the life of devotion. Two is to love God for Himself, and three is to not just do the activity but then to actually love and rest in God, to desire God, to only focus on him, and then to stay there. If we do that, we are truly meeting God. We will behold him because of God's grace. He does all the work. We just have to open our eyes and look at him. And we go out by living a life of virtue, a life of charity, a life of following the Beatitudes and the commandments, a life that Jesus would be proud of, And fourthly, we meet him by keeping our eyes focused on him, loving him, being with him, loving him, not because of his gifts, but because of simply who he is.